This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. This is the talk show for parents. I'm J.R. Celeste, your host and publisher of Successful Parenting Media. I want you to share this broadcast with all of your friends and your followers. And don't forget to leave your comments and questions, and we'll do our best to answer them in the comments and after the show. But anyway, I want to welcome right now to Back Talk our guest, Cassandra Lane, who is the author of her memoir, and it's called We Are Bridges. Uh, and we'll be discussing this book today because it has everything. It investigates black motherhood, personal loss, and intergenerational trauma of racism in the United States. In addition, Cassandra is the editor-in-chief of LA Parent Magazine. So I welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, JR. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, she is in a remote location. So if you're watching the video uh, or you hear a delay, you know, she is in a cabin somewhere in the woods having a great old time. So um, I'm glad she was able to join us today. So thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to do this interview with us. Absolutely. So, I'm Cassandra, Cassandra, tell us about the premise of your memoir, We Are Bridges. I mean, the cover is beautiful. I'll show you guys the cover in a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much. I The cover artist is Crystal Quiles, and she read the book. I sent her tons of pictures, and she just, she gave me back exactly what I thought, you know, this book is, this book is about so much, and she got that. Um, so the book is, the memoir follows my pregnancy. So I find out that I'm pregnant uh, at around 36. I'm in Los Angeles. Um, I'm a Louisiana to LA, one of those transplants. And I had already been working on the story of my great grandfather, Bert Bridges, who was lynched in 1904 and had kind of put that story to the side. Um, but when I became pregnant, I became very interested in picking that story back up because that's as far back as I knew, you know, in terms of my family history. And so we know that cycles repeat themselves. We know that, you know, racial traumas are still going on. Uh, we know that if we don't know our history, that that's actually very, can be very damaging. And so I wanted my, my child to have something um, about the history of his family. There weren't many records at all. Um, I remember great grandma Mary very well. I was 11 when she died and that was the love of her life. She never got over him on her deathbed, she was still talking about how beautiful he was, crying about how the white people lynched him and how much she loved him. She only had one child, their child, my Papa Houston, my mother's father. And so I wanted to not only capture the generational trauma, but also what were those generational riches and the beauty and the love and, and the joy that my great grandparents had. I wanted my son to you know, have some sort of story, something tangible to hold on to, even though there were so many gaps in our history. Well, that's a great tribute to your son and something for him to look at and, and read later on. I think that was that's really great to write your history down. Do you know the story behind your um, great grandfather being lynched? 
We don't. My great grandmother carried that story within her and she didn't want to talk about it. I'm sure it was very painful for her. And she also, I think, wanted to protect us, um, the generations that came after. All she would say ultimately, and that was after much badgering, was that his name was Bert Bridges and that he was this beautiful, fine man who was very proud. He wasn't afraid of anyone and the white people didn't like that that you know they thought he was uppity sadity and they lynched him that's the that only information uppity. that she would give us <laughs> right mm -hmm. that, that's, mm -hmm. that word right. uppity has gotten right. a lot of black people in trouble for being proud which is you know we should be proud we have a lot to be proud of um so the book is named exactly. after the ridges family I think that's a great play on words of We Are Bridges, because it has more meaning to mm -hmm. it than just the name, correct? I mean, how did you come up with that title? So it had probably a million titles before this final one. <laughs> and um, I like Bridges as a metaphor, absolutely. But there was, I hadn't really thought, I think at one point it was called The Bridges as a tentative title. But this full title came to me really um, after a cousin, my cousin Avia, she had seen me post about our great grandparents. So many people in our family didn't know about this history because it's just not something, I grew up in the household with my, my grandparents and my great grandparents. So I had a little bit more, my siblings and I had a little bit more um, insight than cousins who didn't. And so I had posted about their love on, I think an Instagram post. And so a cousin saw that and she was like, wow. So our last name, is not really Buckley. Buckley was the last name of the man that grandma married married after the lynching um, because the adults, you know, her her contemporaries and elders thought that she should not be this single woman with child and that she needed to marry. And so they kind of married her off pretty quickly to a distant cousin. And his last name was Buckley. And that's what so many people in our family thought was our biological last name. And when I started writing about it, talking about it on social media, a lot of cousins came to me and said, wow, I didn't, what's the story? I didn't know that this wasn't our last name. And so at the end of this cousin's post, she put hashtag I am Bridges. And I was like, that's it. That's right. That's who we are. And in so many ways than just a name, right? And I said, we are Bridges. I put hashtag we are Bridges. And that's how this, this final title was born. That's perfect. That's a perfect title. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the book itself? Like, I know you said it takes you, it takes you on a journey, but um, can you tell us a little bit about what to expect when you purchase the book? What are you, what are we reading? So it's being called a lyrical memoir and I do, I'm not a poet, but I love poetry. Uh, poets have influenced my life so much. My mom is a musician. Musicians have influenced my life. And so what I wanted to bring the reader was some musicality some texture, some poetry in the story. Um, and you're gonna see everything from, you know, love, heartbreak, um, coming of age. Uh, of course, there's issues of race, but it's so much more about the relationships within a family, mother-daughter relationship, um, mother-daughter-father uh, relationship, um, the longing that we have when those relationships aren't fulfilled in the way that we need. Um, marital relationships, my own um, first marriage and, and second marriage, um, and, and, and the longing that we have for our children. And, and also the land. I, I really love, you know, I grew up in the South, so 
I try to bring that landscape into the book and then cr contrast that with the landscape in Los Angeles, which is very different, but allowed me to see my my home state in a new way and to appreciate it in, in different ways, in a deeper way. That's, that's wonderful. Now tell us how the book covers the topic of black motherhood and personal loss. The book covers black motherhood. So grandma Mary was pregnant with my grandfather when Bert Bridges was, was lynched. Um, and so at first I was really obsessed with Bert Bridges and his story. And at some point I hit a roadblock, you know, I hired a researcher. We fought, we found who we believe is the same Bert Bridges on a U.S. Census report. But other than that, there were no records. Um, he was born in Mississippi and he was probably lynched in a town called um, Holmesville. It's now Ghost Town in Pike County, Mississippi. All the records from 1912 and earlier were burned in a courthouse fire. So if there were any records on him, those records were burned. But we know that there were so many people in our uh, in ancestry who were not, they just weren't, they didn't have official records. Um, so at some point I hit a roadblock in terms of how much further I could write about him. And the lens turned on his survivor, Mary. And the fact that this woman survived for decades after that she was a farmer, that she fed people who were poorer than her. And I was interested in that strength, you know, that she had to have, um, who was supporting her, who was her community. And so in that way, you know, the idea that she was pregnant with this child at the same time that she was dealing with such devastating loss became a huge theme for me. Um, and so in that way, it definitely looks at motherhood and loss and the determination to, to continue and to go on. And now my family is huge. You know, Mary suffered and yet she had this child who had tons of kids and each of those kids had tons of kids and now we're like this mini nation. So yes, there was loss, but at the same time we survived, we're here and we are again, Bert Bridges. We are definitely survivors. And I think your family is a testimony to the whole culture because we, we are still here. Uh, as Maya Angelou basically says in her point, we're, we're, see, we're here. Um, do you know if Bert um, mm -hmm. Bridges is represented at the, the lynching memorial in Alabama, the national, it's actually the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, but we kind of know it as the lynching memorial where they had the hanging um, mm -hmm. blocks of wood with names. Is, do you know if his name is there? It is not. And I have spoken with them and they were so helpful and so wonderful. You know, there are unknowns. So maybe Bird is one of those unknowns. Um, I would love to be in touch with them again now that the book is out. And I would love to see him memorialized in that way. Um, so I, I deeply appreciate the work that they've done. And I, I will reach out to them again and say, yep. or send them a book. Here's the book. Here's the story that we've created. I think they, I think they will welcome you. And if there's anything we can do, sign a petition or whatever you need, let us know because his name definitely should be there. Um, but can you tell us a, uh, or share a story also in the book that deals with intergenerational trauma or racism? Because we're starting to recognize that this is now a thing. 
You know, we are still traumatized. You know, people say get over slavery. It's been, it was a long time ago. It really wasn't. It really was not. And then we had the repercussions, of course, of slavery. So that we dealt with from Jim Crow now to you know, overrunning prisons of innocent people or people with minor infractions that went to prison for long terms. But we're still dealing with this intergenerational trauma. Can you talk about that a little bit about how you addressed it in the book? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think back to the prologue, the opening, actually, where I talk about how I wasn't going to become a mother. That's just, I loved kids. I'm the oldest of five. And I just did not think that that was the path I wanted to take. I had seen the, you know, hardships that my divorced mother went through, my grandparents, um, and so I, I wrote about my path to motherhood, kind of complicated path to motherhood, which included an abortion, which included, you know, 20 years of saying I'm not going to become a mom, um, and then changing my mind uh, around 30, 35, 36. And the New York Times picked up the story as part of a conception series that they were doing. And I found myself in a recording studio telling the story. I had written the story and sent it in as part of this this ask that they made to the community, tell us your conception stories. And the written story became a video story. And I told the producer that, you know, we were examining why people make certain choices that they make when it comes to motherhood or, or not choosing motherhood. And I said, I think that so much of my fears around not wanting to become a mother are connected to that legacy of, you know, racial, just the burden. Um, and as a, as a young woman, I thought, why bring another child into that? We know that we're facing, I've been dealing with microaggressions and mac macroaggressions um, in the newsroom, uh, in my communities. And so I didn't necessarily want to bring a child into that. I thought that I could give back by helping other people's children, by teaching, by doing my creative work. Um, and so I mentioned to the producer that the legacy of the of lynching in my family and how perhaps, you know, even though I wasn't verbalizing that, that was somehow a part of my bloodstream, my cell memory. And she just kind of, she didn't laugh, but she just kind of smirked and said, 1904, that was a long time ago. Mm. And even though she wasn't willing to make those connections, I just, something in me, and I wasn't working on the story as much as I should have been at that point. But I think after she said that, and after the story ran, and again, it was her prerogative to cut out what she wanted to cut out and to, to write, to shape the story in the way that she thought was appropriate. But I knew that I needed to tell a fuller story and I became more determined than ever to finish that story and to connect those dots because there is intergenerational trauma. And now science backs that up through epigenetics. Um, and so I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do that, <laughs> to tell my full version of that story. I, I saw the impact of racism on, you know, my uncles, my grandfather, the anger, um, some of that turning into domestic, you know, abuse, not to excuse them in any way, but there's this, this violence that becomes echoed through, through the generations, you know, white people were violent to our ancestors, or some of our men unfortunately turned that violence onto their, their wives, their partners, those people turned it onto their children. And so I do address some of those issues in the book. 
Well, you told your story in such a great way that your book won a prestigious award. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm still so thankful and grateful because Louise Merriweather, this award is named after this amazing icon, Louise Merriweather, um, who wrote the novel, My Daddy Was a Number Runner. And she also was an activist, very, you know, very much an activist, so strong, so proud. And the Feminist Press, which is my publisher, started a, an award in her honor about four years ago. And actually four years ago, I was the fourth winner. And when the publisher called me, I was at work, so I couldn't scream as loud as I wanted to, but I was just so honored, one, to work with the Feminist Press and two, to win a book publishing award in honor of this amazing woman who's still alive. I think she's 96. Um, her birthday is actually today. I saw on the Feminist Press website oh. that they were wishing her a happy birthday. Yes, yeah, she lives in New York. Um, so she's survived so much and she, her writing is beautiful. Her activism is is admirable. And um, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of her legacy in this way. I think that's wonderful. And I'm sure there are more awards to come for this book. Uh, it sounds like a wonderful story and it's beautifully done. Now, tell me, why is it important that you got this book out to other readers to tell your story? Why is it important to tell your story? I just believe it's my best form of communication. This is, you know, I didn't talk much when I was a child. I was super timid, super shy. And I remember my mom getting me my first journal with a little key that I could lock and it just felt like my own thing. Um, I loved reading, I loved stories. And I knew that there were other people like me who maybe they didn't feel like they were a part, you know, sometimes even you feel like sometimes an outsider in your family or your school or what have you. Reading allowed me to feel a part of a community, to feel surrounded, to feel understood, and writing helped me do that um, as well. And I hope to give that same sense of comfort and belonging to readers that I felt as a child who kind of felt like an outsider. And also, I just feel like we all have a right to tell our story. We know that, you know, people of color our stories are still so grossly undertold in the publishing market. Um, not many books are published by Black authors, by Black women authors, even it's even less. And so we need to be able to tell our stories just like other people tell their stories and tell our stories. So I definitely wanted to be a part of, you know, the community that's determined to get our stories out there and encourage other writers or, or aspiring writers to do the same. Wow. I think that's that's a, a great point that, you know, we need to be able to tell our stories. And I, I agree mm -hmm. with that 100%. Let me ask you, during the whole writing process, because, you know, you're a writer. So what did you learn while you were doing this memoir? Mm. Oh, my God, so much. <laughs> um, I definitely had, it was, it was hard. There were times where, you know, it was emotionally draining, physically draining. And I learned that I needed to take care of myself um, by just self-care, whether that was exercise, getting out, enjoying life and enjoying life, um, spending time with my family, because I was going to some very deep places. 
Um, so I needed to make sure that I was taking care of myself psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, I also learned that, and actually I, I think this hit me more during the, the audio recording of the audio book, um, that yes, this is a story about my ancestors and my search for Burt Bridges, but it also, unbeknownst to me while I was doing the bulk of the writing was a longing that I didn't realize I still had for my own father who wasn't there uh, after the divorce. And so, you know, those are things that I thought I had kind of put in the past. And as I was reading it during the audio, the audio recording, a lot of emotions came up. And so it just kind of affirms for me that there's not necessarily always complete healing. I think healing is ongoing. Um, and I made peace with that. You know, I thought sometimes you write a memoir, write a book and you think, oh, this is very cathartic. And now this thing is healed. And that's not always the case. Yes, it is a part of your healing, but I think we can still teach. I think we can still live, um, you know, live in even more, more full ways um, as we're still healing and as we still have those wounds. Okay. And what is the opening scene for the book? When we first pick it up, what happens first? You don't have to tell us any, you know, great parts that you want us to read, but what do we, what do we expect when we get to the first chapter? So that first, very first page, which is the prologue, you're, you're going to see some little black children in the woods singing a song that I know so many of us have sung, sung um about how sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me um, and i take that uh, metaphor and talk about how words are hurtful and the omission of words and stories is can be damaging but we open in the south <laughs> that, that is true very true now will will there be a follow-up book to we are bridges are you working on anything else <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have another idea that doesn't doesn't have anything to do with with the family story, but um, it's interesting. Some some people have read the book. A few cousins have read the book. They read it in like a day. <laughs> um, they were curious. I'm sure what was in there. And I have one uh, male cousin who's a reverend, uh, wonderful, wonderful man. He's a year, we grew up together. He's just a year older than I am, and it brought up so much for him. And his father uh, died in 99. We all thought that it was an accident. Um, although it was, there was some suspicions. Um, my, a lot of my uncles worked in the woods cutting down trees like my grandfather did, which I think is just, it's mind blowing when you think about what happened to our ancestor dying on a tree like that. And so Uncle David died in 99. It was supposedly an accident, um, another, vehicle. He was having lunch, they said, resting, or he had had lunch and he was resting against a tree asleep and this skeeter truck ran over him. And my cousin, his son, read the book and sent me this long message about how it was not an accident and how he's been holding on to this pain and this hurt for all these years and he just can't let it go. And I was like, wow, I, I, you know, I remember asking for about a year, you know, what happened to the investigation? This happened in our hometown, DeRitter, Louisiana. And uh, I just, you know, it was just an supposedly inconclusive and it was an accident. But his son did some digging 
they know they think they know the three white men who who were responsible i think somebody hired them he said and so i i ended up dreaming about my uncle that night and woke up just completely upset um so i don't know i i do want to talk to my cousin again and see you know here i was working on this ancestral story and this is contemporary times um do i need to to look at this so i'll be talking to him Sounds and like we'll see Sounds like a Netflix documentary documentary about to happen because that that's really interesting. Um, usually, our instincts are pretty, you know, dead on with these kinds of things, um, especially when it comes to racism. Uh, I tell people all the time that um, it's it's hard to prove, but it's like if you go to a new job and you get the vibe that someone doesn't like you and you didn't give them any reason not to like you, you have that vibe that they don't like you. Well, racism is a little more than mm -hmm. that because you know why they don't like you because the mm -hmm. symptoms of racism are the same in a lot of places. So you recognize it. Mm -hmm. um, either recognize it from television if you hadn't experienced before or you experienced it before or other people have told you their experiences. So mm -hmm. we, we know it, you know, we're not green to it where other people who aren't black mm -hmm are kind of still green to what racism really is. So I, if your cousin says that he thinks it was um, racially motivated or not an accident, you know, that I would definitely look into it and that would definitely make a good book as well as a documentary. So let tell people yeah. how they can purchase your book. So it's on all of the, the online platforms. I love supporting my local bookstores, my local black bookstores, as well. And so right now I'm really pushing people, if you're able to, if you're in Los Angeles or they ship as well, Reparations Club, which is a black owned, woman owned uh, bookstore that I absolutely love. They call themselves a concept store because they also sell black art and records. It's just a cool, cool vibe that it's decorated in like these 1970s um, fashions with the drapes and the, the velour. I love it. And they're just wonderful people. So Reparations Club is a great place. It's also at Esawan, Skylight Books bookshop.org it's on amazon it's on it's on all the sites or whatever your favorite bookstore is yes yeah, support your small bookstores they really are um, having a hard time with the pandemic so now that things are starting to open mm -hmm. up especially here in la you know guys just go visit them uh, wear your mask of course but go and visit and support them i i highly support that message now do you have a website i do my website is cassandralane.net net and uh, what are your social media handles so people can follow you too because you're this budding author that's going to have all these wonderful books we want to make sure we know when the next one is coming oh thank you jr so on twitter i'm at cass lane writes on facebook i'm at cassandra lane author and on instagram i'm at cassandra.lane71 all right, you guys heard that. So go and follow her right now. Pick up a copy of the book. Here it is again. I'll just show you the cover. Look how beautiful that is. That look like, looks like something I would hang in my living room. Like I would get it really a large size and frame it and put it in my living room. I just love it. And see, I wrote get it on there. So that means go and get love the book, you know, guys. <laughs> go and get the book. All right. Um, well, thank you for coming on Back Talk today and introducing the world to your new book, We Are Bridges. Thank you, Cassandra. 
I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. So (laughs) no problem. And thank you all for um, listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the talk show and podcast for parents. Share this broadcast with anyone who needs to hear it, and let's get the word out. Be sure that you visit our syndicated podcast replays on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Android, and more. We're everywhere. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, under Successful Black Parenting or Successful Parenting Media. Don't forget to check out our our website, SuccessfulBlackParenting.com, which is full of great content to help you to thrive and not just survive as a parent. I wish you all the best and much success. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.